This is Power Players with Dan Clark. This is a podcast interview with Olympic speed skater and gold medalist Apollo Ono. Welcome to Power Players with Dan Clark. Former athlete, Hall of Fame speaker, New York Times bestselling author, and high-performance coach, where each week I bring you an inspiring message from an extraordinary human being who will share their secrets on how you can tap into your personal power to become everything you were born to be. Thanks for spending some time with me today. In this episode, Apollo Ono, who is an eight-time Olympic medalist, two golds, two silvers, and four bronze medals, shares his life and climbed to the top of his sport, giving us an inside glimpse on what it takes to be a world champion on and off the ice. Welcome to the show, Apollo Anton Ono. How are you, my friend? Thank you. That was the best introduction I've heard of myself in a long time. I, I really appreciate that. It's really nice to be done. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No, you're, you're, you're an icon. And let's just get right to the questions that everybody wants to hear your answers to. So you're obviously a natural-born athlete, and you've succeeded at every level as an athlete. But I want to know, how did you first identify your passion and identify your extraordinary skill as a speed skater? Sure. It's a great question. So I, you know, I, I grew up in the Seattle area in the Pacific Northwest. Um, I, my father, uh, I came from a single parent household. My father, uh, came from Japan at an age where, you know, he didn't speak the language. He didn't speak, he didn't know, have any friends. He didn't have any money. And he, and he started his life as kind of, I guess the atypical, you know, immigrant story of coming to the U S and in search of something bigger for himself. And, uh, when my father decided to take custody of me and, and the first thing that my father noticed that I had this tremendous amount of, of energy, both towards sport, but really I was that kid who had a really difficult time sitting still in class. And um, being a single parent household, my father had placed me into all of these different after school activities and I was excelling in, in literally all of them. Um, the one sport that really jumped out to me was when I was 12 and uh, my father and I were watching the Winter Olympic Games uh, at home and I just fell in love with the sport. It was something that I'd never seen before. I saw these athletes wearing these superhero-like capes without, or, you know, outfits without the cape and, and speeding around these, you know, this ice rink looking like at these impossible angles going 35 to 40 miles an hour and it didn't even look real. And so that was the first time that I had my first glimpse of what speed skating was. And it wasn't your traditional speed skating. It wasn't the one that, you know, I, we had heard and seen about Bonnie Blair and Dan Jansen, Eric Hyden, where they skate on a large 400 meter oval. This one looked different, it looked more chaotic, it looked more uh, fast and, and aggressive. And something about it, just I, I wanted to try it. And so my passion really didn't come from the sport until actually much later. Um, I would say that I, I excelled very early in the sport before I even actually knew uh, that I had potential to make an Olympic team or that I really loved what I was doing. Um, and then I found that passion multiple times throughout my career as I revisited this kind of introspective conversation with myself about, you know, how do I get better? Is this the right path? Um, I can't guarantee a win, but how can I guarantee fulfillment and happiness in this direction of, of sport that I'm pursuing? So it, you know, when we talk about passion in, in the realm of, of, you know, the Olympic space, 
um, I think every athlete has it, and, and I think you have to have it, but it, it goes a little bit beyond that because I got to tell you, when you wake up every single day um, for you know, 10, 15 years of your life, literally you go in circles. That's your profession. <laughs> um, you have to find something else that you can, that you can find that, that really you can lean on um, when sometimes the passion feels like it's maybe waning or it's not there. Um, you know, luckily for me, I was able to remain that consistency, but, uh, it was, it was never easy. And, uh, I'm just incredibly grateful for even the opportunity to pursue something that I loved in the beginning as a child. I love it. So what you just taught us <clears throat> and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm understanding Apollo is that your passion wasn't necessarily for skating your passion was for the exhilaration of living on the edge of pushing yourself to the limit of of waking up early every day with the attitude that the only person you need to be better than is the person you were yesterday so so because most of us will never be olympic speed skaters Teach us how to identify our passion and maybe even more importantly, reflect on your dad's influence on you because a lot of parents tap into my podcast, obviously. I'm the father of four and we need to figure out how to trigger this passion in our children and help them find this passion. And what you just blew my mind, Paul, you just basically said no speed skating was only a vehicle for you to become the best version of yourself. Weigh in on that, will you please? Yeah, I, I think, I think you articulated that really well, Dan. So when I, you know, when we talk about, you know, trying to find your passion, I think that, you know, if you went across the United States and you asked everyone if they are in the passion or if they are in the, the realm or if they are in an arena or, career path passionate about. I don't think that you'd get a, a clean answer from everyone. I think across the board, people say, look, I got to take care of my family and this is what I know and this is what I'm good at. And therefore uh, I'm in this job. So like you said, I, you know, I, I luckily, I loved speed skating and I loved the sport and I was passionate about it. But I think when you drill it down to a deeper level, uh, it goes beyond that, and it wasn't just about the sport because the same attributes, the same skill sets that are transferable from the Olympic space, uh, those life skills, that perseverance, that resilience, that discipline, the sacrifice, the focus, uh, the mindset, which is really the game within the game, that was the most valuable out of all of these things. And so I think that's what my father, you know, when I was growing up was trying to always instill within me was that regardless of the vehicle, regardless of the path that we are pursuing, the attributes that we have at our fingertips, the skill set, the, the, you know, the God given talents that we have inside of our, you know, between our ears is sometimes a place where we don't look and that's where the real strength and value lies. So it may be easy for me to say this, right? I have medals, not all of them are gold. Um, I have had tremendous career wins in my life, but I've also had tremendous career losses and failures and stumbles in my life. And so passion happens to be something that is important, absolutely. I don't believe it's absolutely necessary, however, 
um, as we progress because many of us don't have the luxury of pursuing our passions. Or, you know, as parents, people are always trying to help their, you know, their, their, their children find their passions, find something that they're good at, find something. And it may not be the actual task that they're doing, but it may be an attribute associated with that task, whether it's a learning it. process whether it's growth, whether it's this introspection of how am I going to face my challenges. Um, life will knock you on your behind. That is going to happen. And I think that's why my passion for sports as a whole is very powerful because you know, I don't have kids yet, and, and, and I hope that I do. But when, when we do decide to have children, and um, my goal is to have them just be active and to play. I don't care if they become Olympic athletes. I don't care if they become world-class. Yeah. I care about how they play the game, that they learn about those it. lessons that can accelerate their life. And so, yeah, that's kind of my two cents. And a lot of that, you know, I, I, a lot of this stems from, you know, the, the progress and, and the relationship that I've had with winning and losing in sport, in business, in life. Um, and then just continuously keep getting myself back up, regardless of how yeah. hard you get hit. Yeah. Okay. So that's perfect because that ties into the second P of preparation. So I want to know, how do you think, how do you think differently? How do you prepare differently than most? And, 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 and who actually inspired you? No, no, we'll get to that. Who, who, how, how do you think differently and prepare differently? And here's my point. You know, I played football forever and uh, in baseball, you know, at pretty high level. And when you get old like me, you still get the boys together and you go into a gym on a Saturday morning at a nice place and you have a pickup basketball game. And on the off season, a lot of professional athletes, professional football, basketball, baseball players, they show up and we get a pickup game. And those of us who think that we can succeed and perform at a high level are just Saturday warriors. And when you come down to the game, when it really matters if you're going to win or lose, there's a clear difference between the mindset and preparation of just a Saturday wannabe and someone that has performed at your level for so many years consistently. So in the second P preparation, you already brought up mindset. Let's talk about how you think differently than most and how you prepared differently than most so that when you did crash and burn, you knew that you could just get back up and go again. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I'm not sure how others would prepare in kind of their own space. I, I knew, and I was able to find what worked best for me. And I think that was really, really beneficial along this path. You know, very early I was introduced into this kind of power visualization and, and, and belief um, and rerunning these scenarios over and over again in my head until they felt so real that when I did win, I felt like I had already done it. Um, that's one element. I, I also believe that, you know, the preparation can be in everything that we do. It can be the smallest of details and the smallest of things done consistently over time can compound into the greatest returns. And when you look at the Olympic space, you're talking about an athlete who trains four years, eight years, sometimes 12 or more years for their shot at a 40-second race in which they need to be absolutely perfect. And when you start thinking about those type of micro details 
everything seems to matter. That's why it's difficult to get athletes on the phone a month or two before the games for an interview because they just want to be so uh, immersed and contained within their routine and control the elements that they can control. And so in a sport like short track speed skating where a lot of variables are constantly being thrown at you and there's no guarantee of victory regardless of how hard you you practice and train and show up – you have to be able to look at the sport and say, well, how can I leave no stones unturned in that preparation? Because if that's my only guarantee in life is that I can say and walk away regardless of outcome, and I can tell my family, friends, and myself, you know what? I put it all out there on the line. I was able to risk it, and I did or it did or it didn't happen for me. And that's okay. But for those who said, man, if I had only just trained a little bit harder, if I'd only focused on recovery, if I'd only, uh, you know, not gone out on the weekends or whatever those things are, that those woulda, coulda, shoulda, we all have those, right? Because we're human beings and we're not perfect and we're not robotic. But my goal was to create a new methodology of mindset. I wanted to create that cyborg mentality. I wanted to create this machine-like mechanism to where I was robotic in terms of the things that I ate every single day, the times that I woke up, the mental preparation, the physical preparation, and that I had no cracks in my armor. Because I knew that by the time I got to the games, there was no guarantee that I was going to win. The only thing that I could talk about was when I looked in the mirror is if I could answer the question, are you happy with how you prepared? Is this enough? Uh, and it's a, it's a difficult, radical question to ask yourself. But I think for me, and, and you know, I could go much more into detail, but you know, there was a significant transformation that had to occur from the first time I competed in Salt Lake City in 2002 to when I finished my career in 2010. There was several transformations, reinventions that I had to go through, both in terms of my own psychology, in terms of the team, in terms of the coaches, the management, um, leadership, all of those elements come into play and we have to continuously evolve. And I've just been so believing in the fact that if you believe that you cannot change, you will be stagnant. And we as human beings crave to inch forward. We crave progress, even if it's minute. Uh, and that mm-hmm. only comes with the self-discipline. Which brings us to the third P, pursuing your passion. So back to kind of my analysis of what you were teaching the world about passion, that, that figure skating is for someone else. Speed skating is for someone else. The Eric Hydens, the, the Bonnie Blairs, the Dan Jansons of the world, you're, 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 you crave a different kind of high. But as we established with the first P on passion, the more you talk and follow, your passion is just the pursuit of excellence in everything you do. So the, the last P brings us to dancing with the stars. Uh, it, it's, it, it goes to your perfect, you know, wavy brown hair and your iconic little single sliver beard that drooped from your lower lip that caused a, a, a craze across <laughs> the world. And it, it goes to your winning, I mean, finishing the, the Iron Man and winning at everything you do. So let's just, the, the question is, how do you remain motivated to keep pursuing every single thing you do. And it will lead to my conclusive question based on Professor Randy Pausch's famous last lecture. 
is you teach us about what keeps you fired up and why are you always at the highest level? And then the final question would be, if you had one day to live, what is your one consolidated message to the world? And I'll let you teach us. Wow. Those are, that's a, that last one is, is very powerful. Um, and I, <laughs> I have to think about that for a second. So the, Look, I, I think when we when I look back on all these things we just we just identified and talked about, um, look, I, I think first and foremost, um, you know, finding these, you know, realms of performance and finding ways to perform well at the highest level. Um, so I, I didn't win at everything that I did. Uh, I was able to win sometimes, and those sometimes happen to matter on the Olympic stage. But I would be lying if I said that it wasn't those failures is what made me hungrier. Those, those times when I didn't perform well, those times when I did not prepare well, those times when my mind slipped and I wasn't as concentrated and focused, that is what motivated me. And, you know, I had, I had many friends ask me many times, you know, Apollo, like, you know, you, you, you've won this. Why are you doing an Ironman? Or why are you doing this in business? Or why are you pursuing this? And, my answer has just always been, I just want to grow. I'm hungry to grow. I'm hungry to learn. I want to share these experiences with people all over the planet. And I just believe that, you know, sport happened to be the catalyst for me uh, to achieve something that I didn't think was possible. I was, I was often not the strongest or the fastest or the most technically gifted, but I found a way. And I hope that serves as a reminder to everyone who – maybe doesn't feel like they have what it takes in terms of the genetic ability of someone else. I just, I don't believe in that. I just believe that when you truly want something, you can, you can achieve far beyond what your wildest dreams are. And I, I just, I, I know it because I've lived it. I've felt it. Um, and I'm far from perfect. And so if someone like me, um, who grew up in a Pacific Northwest, who, you know, single parent household, who didn't have much, um, I just had passion and drive and hunger and discipline and obsession that was a huge part of this process. Uh, I just want human beings, especially in this country, to recognize the power that is in their hands um, and that they don't have to go through life in the passenger seat. But in reality, you are in the driver's seat. You may not be driving exactly to your destination and everything may not be at your control. But the one thing that is within our control is our perception of those challenges, our perception and how we react to those issues and challenges and turn them into opportunities of triumph versus trial. And how do we do that? Uh, and, and that takes practice like anything else. The brain can react like a muscle. And the more and more that you consistently do that and react the same way, um, you'll be tougher, stronger, faster, better, smarter, all those things that we strive to be. So, look, I, I, I'm hungry to grow because I feel <clears throat> two things. And I feel, number one, I feel like because my life was so one-sided in sport for so long, I was completely obsessed with trying to identify and find new parts of my personality interests in the world. That's, that's the first part. And then the second part was I, I just want to share these experiences with people because when I hear from others and I get, I get inspired by other people across our nation and I hear about their own trials and tribulations, it, it tells me that we still have so much further to go. Right, where there's so much opportunity out there, regardless of chaos and uncertainty, 
our solidarity, our unification, our ability to care for one another, our, our ability to care for ourselves. And everyone knows when we say There's, that's a woman on fire, that's a man on fire, right? It's like a dog on a bone. You just you can't get them to think about or concentrate on anything else. That can be turned into something so powerful and so positive. It's a light switch. And so it's my mission to help people find that within themselves, find that they have the ability to turn their own high performance mechanism on like a light switch and watch how their life can drastically move in the direction that they've always wanted. But it's not until that happens, no matter how many times I talk to them, I mean, how many times someone like Tony Robbins or another, uh, you know, personal development person says, hey, this is what you can do. It's got to come from within. And so we are always outwardly seeking catalysts for change and progress, whether it's sports. You know, you talk about the weekend warriors. You know, these guys oftentimes the reason why they're doing that is because they're they're trying to improve. It's so much more than just about the sport itself. There's something deeper there. And that's what I'm trying my absolute best to get people to recognize is that they hold that light switch in their hand, just waiting for them to turn it on. And when it goes on, it is powerful and it's uh, just get out of the way. That's um, that's good. good. Sorry. Keep going. Yeah. So, you you know, your last question, you know, I've got, you know, one day to live. Um, That's really challenging. Uh, You know, look, I, I think, we are at these very unprecedented times um, in, in history right now. And I, I think that when we, when we are in these situations uh, where people sometimes feel helpless, they feel confused and uncertain, um, it takes, takes a lot of strength and ability to keep your calm to take a step back out of your own shoes and then you know, we call it stepping out onto the balcony when you're in the fight, right? When you're in, when you're on the field of battle, you can't see everything that's going on. You, you could feel it and emotionally know the intensity that's there, but you may be fighting something that's not worth it. You may be fighting something that's in the wrong direction until you step out, go on the balcony and you can see the entire landscape and recognize, Hey, This fight that I'm thinking about or seeing right now, right in front of my own eyes, is one chapter in a hundred-chapter book. If I can recognize that and see that on the other side of this happens to be tremendous growth, tremendous lifelong learning and lessons that I can implement both into my own career, my own personality, into my children, my family, and friends, it's a different perspective. Um, And that also comes from a place of gratitude, right? And so – uh, that's what that you know. It, it, it's tough. One day on Earth, what would I do? I mean, I think I would spend a lot of time telling every single person what I think about them, how beautiful, how strong, how powerful they can be, and I hope to create a drop in the water that will ripple across this planet in the way that we live better, we're better to each other, we try to do the right things, um, and and understand through empathy and gratitude that none of us are perfect. And I may not see the world that you see it as because we're all wearing different contact lenses. We all have different lenses on and we're all unique beings. Uh, But the one thing that we can have is that when we have collective unification and strength, nothing stands in our way. Uh, I truly believe that. So that's what I would hopefully leave. I love it. I love it. I honor you. Apollo Anton Ono, and I kept interrupting you two different times because you got me so fired up. I want you to tell the world how to get a hold of you. I know you're a speaker. 
Uh, tell us how to connect with you and join your tribe. Yeah, so I, you can find me on all the social channels. Um, my my Twitter at Apollo Ono, my Instagram at Apollo Ono, uh, my LinkedIn, and um, my website uh, com. That's why I couldn't find you. I went www hunker burn and love, and it just your picture didn't pop <laughs> up as it should. I'm so sorry. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, this is Apollo Eton Ono. I honor you, bro. I honor you. This has been one of the great uh, interviews of my career. And as I always sign off, so remember, when you finally decide to be a power player, your power play begins in you, just like Apollo reminded us. So until next time, quantify your takeaway and go make a power play. Have a great day. The views and opinions expressed on the Power Players podcast do not necessarily reflect those of KUTV or Sinclair Broadcast Group.